Hi folks, Jason Crane here reminding you about the 100 by 300 campaign. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show. Membership is easy. You can do it in one lump sum each year or month to month for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. If you choose one of the higher levels, particularly the $500 a year or $50 a month level, you'll be mentioned on every single show. You'll be an official sponsor of the Jazz Session. The 100 by 300 campaign, visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. Once again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at TheJazzSession.com, although you can become a member, and I hope you will, at TheJazzSession.com. It's very easy to do for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year, and your memberships will help ensure that the show keeps coming to you for uh, years and years to come. My guest today is the trumpeter Brian Lynch. Uh, he's one of those guys I've been listening to almost the entire time I've been listening to small group jazz. And he's got a new CD called Unsung Heroes. It's actually a part of a, a multi-album project, the other two volumes of which are online. Uh, Unsung Heroes is Brian's tribute to some of the underappreciated trumpet masters. And I've got two autographed copies of this record that can be yours, one of them at least can be yours, uh, for the first two people who send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com. Again, that's contest at thejazzsession.com, and just put Brian in the subject line. So once again, email to contest at thejazzsession.com with Brian in the subject line, and the first two emails will receive autographed copies of this album, Unsung Heroes. The uh, The record begins with uh, Brian's tribute to Joe Gordon, and the tune Terra Firma Irma.
My guest is trumpeter Brian Lynch. He's got a great new record called Unsung Heroes with a subtitle, a tribute to some underappreciated trumpet masters. And uh, Brian, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Jason. Now, uh, this is one of those records which is nice for a guy like me because it's very clear about what its its mission is. Uh, but maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, why you decided to record uh, an album like this, which I think is a great idea. Having a theme to a record helps for both the the um, the artist, you know, and the listener. It helps helps us both both to focus our experience, you know, whether it's of creating the pro the product or listening to the music itself. So um, I've always been very interested in in lineage and tradition, things like that. A bit of an amateur historian, I guess, and you know, in terms of style, all those things are very important to me as a player and kind of you know working with that sense of tradition is very active in terms of of terms of my place in it and what's going on with it you know you know i've done i've done a trumpet tribute in the past um i tribute to the trumpet masters record in 2000 on the sharp nine label it paid paid homage to more well-known players like Kenny Dorham and Freddie Hubbard, Woody Shaw, and so on and so forth. But um, I wanted to extend it out a little bit and get into the players that, like I say, kind of have flown under the radar or flown under the horizon, but they're still very important. They're important to me for a number of reasons, how they've touched me um, in my own playing experience and in, in a lot of, in some cases, in, in a personal nature. And so um, that's something that really appealed to me. Where do you think that appreciation of lineage and tradition comes from? Is that something that was imbued in you by a teacher, something you've always been interested in since you were a kid? Can you point to it? Well, you know, we, we all start out, I think, when we start playing, and then we're very interested in just the things that are kind of next to us generationally. So what's going on with the players that are just a few years older than you, That the ones that have made it, you know, that you can you can kind of see them so, yourself going into their shoes at a certain point this is this is really natural so it's just like what's going on you know today it's like a young piano player might be more you know more subject to model him or herself after Aaron Parks or Brad Meldow or you know or somebody like that rather than to go to um, Herbie Hancock or Oscar Peterson or Bud Powell or whatever and, and so I was no exception when I when I started playing my idols were 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 all the guys that were doing things right then and there. Now, 
One thing was at that point when I started playing, people like Freddie Hubbard and, and Woody Shaw were very much the uh, contemporary musicians of, of the time, and uh, people like um, Kenny Dorham and Lee Morgan were just going off the scene. So it's a little bit different relation to the history. But I guess the point being is that I started out with all the stuff that was really right up to date, and even the more you know kind of avant-garde sort of things and then I worked I worked my way back out of a out of a out of a desire to know how things had developed you know and I think Miles is a real good example of that I started out listening to Miles the first record I got my Miles was Live Evil right <laughs> and then all the other records like from that era like Jack Johnson or Bitches Brew or whatever now from there I went back and I wanted to know how that music had developed, and so I listened to Miles Smiles and um, ESP and all those things. And then pretty soon I was back listening to those records with Red Garland and John Coltrane, and or The Birth of the Cool, or the Blue Note records of the early 1950s. So through this one guy, I got a real like history lesson, you know. And then of course to find out about Charlie Parker, which changed everything. Um, I think that. That the sense of of seeing how everything comes from somewhere—that's something that that I got really fascinated with, and and it's something that you know my own development as a player I think is very much predicated on you know being on the on the shoulders of all the giants and and sort of peeking out a little bit from them, hopefully. Is that something that you suggest uh, that your own students do? That that tracing of the lineage. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, with my students, um, I try, I try to, I try to respect and and know the importance of where they're at, wanting wanting to listen to the contemporary players, the young players, and stuff. And I listen to them myself, so you know, because uh, I want to keep up a little bit. And but but I want them to kind of go back through the history a little bit. So if if they hear, you know, if they're listening to Roy Hargrove, um, then you know, I want them to know like. How listening to Blue Mitchell or uh, listening to Freddie Hubbard or listening to Clifford Brown, you know, really informs the playing of, of the person that they're following. And, you know, and, and so then a lot of things kind of light up, you know, I think when, when you realize the continuity of the tradition and you, you even understand how things like specific melodic passages and, and things that kind of have a life that goes, goes through time and, and it has, you know, a certain kind of like, like significance through the way that the different players have kind of, you know, you know, through different generations have, have used the material and used like, you know, even like I say, like specific licks and things like that. Does a knowledge of the tradition uh, compel anything of you as a player? For example, you you often hear it's almost become a cliche now that you know all jazz evolved from the blues, which, and of course we can point to forms of jazz for which that's not true, forms of improvised music for which that's not true. Um, but there certainly is a strong, uh, a strong a tradition that you can see develop in this country in jazz. Do you feel like it compels anything of you as a player, or or points has your study of the tradition pointed you in a particular direction as a player or a writer? It it continually does. I mean, and it's con it's continually reappraised and and you know re reconsidered in the light of what you know development you have. I mean, for me, development a lot of development personally has taken the form of 
being able to appreciate fundamentals in a in a in a deeper sense and so that also applies to going back to the music that you listened to before and listening to it again and and digging more layers and meaning out of it or or maybe more implications that come out of it you know based on you know you know what else what you know what else you've gotten into what else you've done in the interim um i mean i'm not an advocate necessarily of of just you know keeping things stuck in 1955 or 1965 or 1975 or or, or 85 or zero or <laughs> you know but but um but i think that i think that you find it's like they're not foreign it's not foreign in terms of like the kind of aesthetic issues that that are going on in all these players and in, and the music. I do think there are values in in the classic jazz music that need to be need to be preserved, and um, all players still need to have a dialogue with the classic materials, no matter what whether they've been around like like me for a while and had more of a direct relationship with it, or somebody who's just coming online right now and maybe doesn't have the same sort of you know, somebody who never had a chance to hear Art Blakey or even kind of even really know what that means and, and and that sort of thing. That's okay. I mean, but what I'm saying is it's it's good to get, you know, to get some kind of relationship to that stuff. Yes, yes, still know that, that the blues is very important. Still know that the African-American um, aesthetic and cultural heritage is very central to this music and something that, you know, needs to be, needs to be worked with as, as a primary source in terms of, you know, you know, aesthetically and, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. That's important. My favorite, um, my favorite quote on that is something, um, one of my mentors, Charles McPherson said in, in, re in reference to a question asking him about what he thought about all the different things that were going on in jazz today where, you know, people were, were doing the kind of things different, you know, coming from a different cultural thing and, you know, putting, you know, different kinds of things into it. And he said, well, put put whatever you want into jazz. Just don't take anything away, hmm. you know, so, so you can add things to it, but just don't, don't lose things like the sense of swing and all that, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah.
obviously, as a as a trumpeter, you had, I mean, just an ocean of players uh, to choose from in putting together both your Masters tribute back in 2000 and this Unsung Heroes uh, tribute now. I mean, there are just so many of the hallmark figures of jazz uh, and so many important figures of jazz who played the trumpet. Uh, did you... Did you kind of rely on on either emotional connection or uh, musical particular musical influences? How did how did you select who was going to be tributed? I think I think both. I mean, I, I every everybody all everybody paid tribute to on on this um, project is somebody that I have the one or the other of those kind of relations, and actually both. You know, I would say with the people that I know personally, then it's both a musical and personal relationship. Uh, there's uh, of all these names, there was only one that I had never heard of, um, who is uh, Kamau Adilifu. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that correctly. Uh, who is that? I don't know anything about. Well, he's him. also known as Charles Sullivan. And, oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, now it all becomes clear. Okay, cool. Okay, good, <laughs> good, great. But tell everybody else because it's not for me. So. so, so Kamau or Charles Sullivan is is a trumpeter that um, he was. I he's active today, and um, I know that he spent a lot of his time. In the last, um, you know, maybe 20 years, doing a lot of commercial work, um, Broadway shows, and things like that. He was, he was, I believe, even the contractor on Tap Dance Kid, you know, which was a number of years back. So he's kind of, you know, been been involved in that scene, but also still doing things like playing with McCoy's big band and, and stuff like that. And, I've, and and he's done a number of recordings on Steeplechase too, cool. um, you know. But at the time when I was uh, growing up in the, in the uh, late seventies. He was very much the kind of the young cat, you know. And again, as a as an example of of, of um, you know, it's just like the way my 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 students would be listening to Dave Douglas or Ambrose or somebody like that. Now, I'd, so I'd be listening to. You know, I'd be listening to Woody Shaw, Charles Tolliver, and then I'd be, then I was listening to this dude, Charles Sullivan, and he was, he had a really great record of his own on Strata East, Genesis, and he was also on a number of, like a whole bunch of record dates for like, people like Eddie Jefferson and Sonny Fortune, you know, and, and, um, I think something his playing made a big made a big impact on me, and I think it's it manifested mostly in in the in the sort of maybe almost like it's almost like a technical thing about the about the, the the way I get from note to note and the way I phrase and stuff like that, you know. And also, you know, some of the material too. He's a very good modal player, and um, you know, I was very you know I was and continue to be very interested in. In, ex- in like exploring the possibilities of of playing fluently in a in a modal kind of sense, kind of a, kind of you know a la you know Coltrane and Woody Shaw, but I mean also I think um, one of my very favorite kind of st- kind of like ways modal playing is organized to me is is uh, in jazz is the way the McCoy Tyner plays, especially the in his you know in his early earlier work and you know through the 1970s so that's you know he's somebody very much in that kind of bag and and um i definitely i definitely could hear myself in him you know so i, I know i was listen, i was listening very very hard to him you know at the point now i think in anyone's development when you're young there's a there's a there's a place where 
where influence is really effortless, you know, because it's like, oh, it's almost like osmosis, the way you can pick up things like nuance and things like that, even if you're not transcribing things and learning solos off the record, which, you know, we didn't tend to do as much back then as, as, as people do now. You know, that's why people progress faster, because um, <laughs> that's, that is the way to get your stuff together, you know. But... Um, but you know, but even even by in an intuitive sort of process, you get you get that sort of thing happening, you know. Sounds like listening to you talk that you really have a still a very uh, a visceral, present, real time connection to the music that you've heard. Like you feel very much a part of this fabric of of the music that's come before, which sounds like it must be very satisfying. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have I have a you know I have a living relationship with the music I listen to. You know, whether it's whether it's from the from you know the past my own past in terms of like the tradition of what i've listened to i mean you know i could turn on for instance just to take another example outside the the orbit of this project you know if you if you were to throw on a you know like kenny doran playing straight ahead off the unamas record or you know or freddie hubbard playing you know um D minor mint or something like that or you know or 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 any any woody shaw from the cbs period you know i like i i'd have those feelings just like i like i would have you know when i was 20 or something like that but informed by a lot of other stuff that's gone on so i think there's a there's a dialogue between me and all the music i listen to and it's been a part of me you know yeah you know during yes and it is very very visceral Oh, that's really great. Uh, are there some? Uh, there's a, a dozen uh, players uh, paid tribute to on on this record. Are there uh, maybe a couple others that you'd like to to kind of single out as people who? Uh, who yeah, really so, hit you? some of those players. You know, you know. One thing about the project is that it's there's a CD and then there's also um, further aspect to the project, which is more music that's just available in a downloadable form. So I put all the players on the. Um, on the, on the back of the liner, but they're they're not all in the CD, but they all are a part of the project. Thoughts about some of those players? Yeah, that'd be great. Tommy Turrentine is somebody who I've had a had a real personal relationship with. He, you know, when I first came to New York in the early 1980s, he was one of the first guys I ran into, you know, at, at jam sessions and was very encouraging of me, you know, like positive about my playing. Um, I was just getting to know his playing. I mean, I think I got got to know his playing even a little bit more from hearing him live before I heard the you know the classic records that he's been a part of. Um, 
looking at a couple of them right here, actually. Um, these Horace Parlin and, yeah. and Stanley Turrentine records on Blue Note. He's somebody, he exemplifies the the kind of the intelligence and the passion that that I think is synonymous with like the music coming out of the classic. You know, he's a, you could call him a, you you call him kind of associated as with with the later hard bop kind of things, but he's somebody who come, goes all the way back to the classic period of bebop. You know, he played with ben, in Benny Carter's band with Miles Davis right. in '46. You know, and um, and he's got that quality. You know, there, to me, there's the classic bebop quality, which I to me is exemplified the strongest in trumpet playing. With all due respects to the grandmaster, Mr. Gillespie, is like is it. There's a certain way that a certain way that Fats Navarro expresses that that I think that's real, really sort of epitomized it, and and you find that in Tommy Turrentine's playing too. Purity of line, you know, like like great, you know, great sound, great technique, but a natural sort of technique, the sort of technique that's good, that's humanized enough to have a to have a little flub or a little clam in it, and not right. and not interrupt the musical line. These guys have all this certain kind of intellect. I just really, you know, I, I call them intellectuals, even though they wouldn't, they wouldn't maybe think of themselves as big, big eggheads or anything like that. But they're, they're, they're very much intellectuals in the way they conceptualize and 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 like went about their takes on the music, you know. And um, did yeah. you have a sense of that when you were first, for example, when you were first meeting Tommy and he was being encouraging? Did you have a sense of where he fit? in the pattern or is that something you came to later as you did more reading and research and listening? Well, you know, well, I know right away, I know right away and, and I, rec I recount the story in the, in the downloader, downloadable liner notes to the project, which are available with the, with the downloads, um, that the first time I ever ran across him, I went into the back room at, at a jazz club. There was a jam session and I just saw him hectoring some other, some other players saying, no, nah, man, that's the KD turn back. I, I, I I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, not um, giving you the whole expletive-laden <laughs> flavor of that exchange, but um, but 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 again, like you know, you know, that's it was a it was a great it was a great you know just you know this is the sort of thing you moved to New York for to walk in somewhere and, and you see somebody talking passionately about music, passing on his knowledge, and 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 putting it you know. You're fixing it within a tradition and within history and stuff like that. You know, and I got to know as I got to know T better. You know, we we said you know we talk a lot about like different players and what they were you know where they were coming from. And you know, when you could get with somebody, you can actually tell you and say, well, yeah, you know, he used to hang around with so and so. You know, and and and, and they used to practice together and stuff. You know what I mean? And then it just it's not just a matter of some kind of like thing you read in a book. It's coming alive. That's like a that's an amazing thing. We all feel like that. We have colleagues that we share those things with. I share the, these kind of things with my students and, and try to pass things on to them now, much the way that, that my mentors did in a, in, a, in a more informal sort of sort of sense, you know. But it's, it's you know, I think, I, think the, I think the real information in this music is passed down in, in, in the oral, that's a play on words, both oral, O-R-A-L, and oral, A-U-R-A-L sense, you know. And the kind of, the kind of, you know, knowing about things like straight from, you know, how it's handed down is really, is really cool, really important. What year did you uh, come to New York? I came at the end of '81, so I'm coming, okay. I'm coming up, I'm 30. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Been here. Yeah. And so uh, what, what were some of the hot spots when you came here that uh, that you hung out at? Some oh, the, the Jazz Forum. Uh, there's a place called Jazzmania. Um I before I came to New York, I, I I would visit here, and I actually had, had a chance to be in and even sit in at Boomers, which was pretty cool, you know. Which featured Woody Shaw, Woody Shaw standing two feet in front of me, like looking looking straight at me. Of course, he he didn't have you know very good vision, so he needed to get up close, <laughs> wondering what the heck was going on with this this whatever the heck I was sounding like then. I don't know. It was I was eighteen, you know. I had, I had much more much more. Um, confidence than musical sense at that point (laughs) did you find it uh intimidating or uh exhilarating or a combination or challenging challenging but a challenge that i really wanted you know and um i mean just to get into my own personal history i came you know i i I tried to prepare pretty pretty hard i i'd grown up around as a situation where you know i think i had some very good good training both in in school and on the street you know playing with people like buddy montgomery and melvin ryan and uh you know a couple couple gentlemen that are still in milwaukee uh guitarist named manti ellis and a uh, very fine saxophone player named berkeley fudge that's that's one of the wow. great that's one of the great names you can yeah. make that up that's great no and, and he's on the men right now he he had a he had a, a stroke a few months ago but he's He's on his way back. Great players, you know. I mean, um, and they really brought me along real good and kind of made me feel like by the time I got to New York that I could, you know, I could handle the hang and stuff like that. I mean, also getting some involvement with Latin music before I came to New York really helped me a lot because of, you know, not a part of this conversation so much, but... But you know, Latin music has been an incredibly important part of my my musical career, and, and continues to be, obviously. Yeah, and in fact, is one of the main uh, facets of your career that I think I first became aware of and first really started listening to. Yeah, but but you know, this this project sort of sort of it doesn't it doesn't exclude it. There is a, there is a, a, at least one tune that could be thought of as pretty pretty. You know, I think would satisfy the Latin jazz um, um, people. You know. Um, but in general, it's sort of st- staying to a sort of a you know a, cl- a sort of a classic sort of straight ahead quote unquote jazz aesthetic, and um, I mean, I like the idea of being conversant in plural disciplines, but in but being able to approach those in a pure kind of way first of all, and then being able to like combine and syncretize those sort of those sort of traditions so you kind of avoid being a cultural tourist or well or just to just to avoid having a having something that's a mishmash which is not happening you know what i mean it's like i mean i mean if you're gonna play latin music you need you need to you need you got to do that right if you're gonna play bebop you got to do that right you know it's i mean you know yeah you know so it takes a certain amount of focus i mean we go through these parts these these times where like you know, I go through these. I went through periods where all I wanted to listen to was a certain kind of music from a certain kind of period. Went through the same thing when I started listening to Cuban music. I just really, you know, there's a long there's a long period where I was just wasn't even listening to anything that was 
recorded after 1960 because I almost wanted to kind of I want I wanted to kind of go through the development myself. It's like sort of like catching up on everything you missed. It's like reading all the back issues of the New Yorker or something like that when you've been on vacation, but in a slightly more profound sense. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it sounds almost like a you know you're kind of programming your your brain, re- rewiring your brain in this particular musical mold. Yeah, well, you know, continuity, historical relationships, again, getting the idea of of what comes out of what and then you know it's like if you learn about how how things develop and how things can change and then and then what makes things change then you might be able to apply that process to what exists around you now you know and you know i mean jason can i can i just pontificate for a second pontificate away you know i i think there's a lot of things you know we're in a great state state in this music right now there's more players who can really play than ever before the um the 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 general level of every part of of the musicality of 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 uh, jazz musicians and jazz is just like so much higher than it's ever been almost i mean almost to a degree that 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 will cause an old bebopper to me like the sink into despair you know but but i do think that there are still things to be worked out about, you know, a way to to grapple with the problem of straight ahead swinging music and saying it's not obsolete and not and not just as as like a sort of a, you know, recreating a old style or something like that. us like to say bebop is the music of the future and i still believe that it is i mean not necessarily in the form that it's been played or or recreating the form that it's played not saying that i figured this out either too because i haven't but it's something i'm very interested in in working with it's like how to take music like this and to make it feel new you know, maybe sounds are very, you know, sounds are very relative. I mean, you know, in the absolute sense, anything that's new is new, no matter what it sounds like. But it's so easy to take, you know, music that's kind of, you know, familiar sounding and comfortable and pigeonhole it and then and not listen to like the, the, the individuality and the, um, the kind of the, the personal aesthetics that are involved in, in the playing and the way that it's put together. This is something I think that also, you know, this is this pertains to the concept of unsung heroes. A lot of players like why listen to Idris Suleiman when I can listen to Clifford Brown? Why listen to Tommy Turrentine when I can listen to Fats Navarro or Freddie Hubbard? I mean, I can understand that because those players are 
unquestionably at a, at a, at a very elevated level, and you could say could stand alone in terms of their 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 genius or their you know their the heights they've reached in their artistry. But um, I don't think just looking at five or six players on one instrument and and, make, and constructing a tradition out of that really really makes the whole story. And I think and I and I think just in the same way that I think that not that saying oh listening to something that I might play or that other other artists that are working within these forms and, and kind of being quick to pigeonhole it to like oh that just sounds like a blue note record from the 1950s or 1960s that doesn't that doesn't tell the whole story either you know yeah. and we need to be and and I want everyone to be thoughtful about exploring the individuality in all thoughtful players that that bring you know hopefully I'm bringing bringing a fairly high level of, of craft and of thoughtfulness to, to, to the work that I'm presenting. So, you know, I'm, I'm inviting people to kind of get in not in not only to my work but to the work of these uh, these players that I that I reference in the same way because I because I feel about them that way. Topic, particularly regular listeners of this show will know that the the jazz session has has these kind of story arcs where for a while there there'll often be a particular kind of music featured on the show for several episodes in a row because it's what I'm hearing at that moment, and I have to say kind of you know guilty as charged because often to me means. I'll go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, unless I'm listening to one of the classic recordings. And so, like this record, for example, Unsung Heroes, is going to be very unlike maybe the five shows before it and probably the five shows after it, just knowing in my head who else I've interviewed recently. Mm-hmm. It's, there is going to be a lot more abstract. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at that. I'm playing the piano. There's going to be a lot more abstract <laughs> music that surrounds it. And so it's, it's important for me to hear you say that too, because, and I've had this, I've been having this kind of ongoing discussion with some of my musician friends, uh, this idea that, uh, you know, straight ahead ain't dead. And, but, but it's a challenge, I think, to make new individual statements in that style. At least for me as a listener, it's a challenge for me to hear new individual statements in what we might call the classic bebop mm-hmm, style mm-hmm. or straight ahead style. But don't you think there's an aspect to, to that, 
more quote unquote abstract music and that's a that's an interesting i think that's an interesting thing to unpack at some point an almost you know? meaningless term in a lot of ways well, yeah, has a, i know go in a lot but, of but i know what you're talking about right. but but also i guess what comes to mind is that i mean a lot a lot of people that that make music that's got a like a more of a of a what we used to call an avant tip on it you know are very good at at like having sort of like rhetorical scaffolding for their work in terms of like what it's tr- what it's doing what it's going to represent and then like what you know what i mean and also just the ideas that were you know in opposition to something which is maybe in some cases like i'm thinking about a certain group that that were who's whose bassist leader um, made a statement that that he just couldn't imagine why anybody would want to play straight ahead music with changes anymore. Right. You know, you know, and and and, and you know, yeah, I'm not going to name any names, but their their initials <laughs> are mostly other people do the killing. <laughs> that that was subtle. That's good. That's, I don't a, that's, you... old, that's a old. That's a old. Uh, that's a that's a old. Um, that's a old one. You know, I yeah. name no names, but his initials are Sonny Stitt. <laughs> Um, Well, there's even there's even a level in between. uh, Like I notice a lot of times that I'll book people on my show, and I've and I've said this before on the show, and I've said it in in private to musicians that if I flip over the rec, I get over a thousand records a year. So Mm -hmm. just so there's triage. We we have to understand right from the beginning. There's triage. I'm not. I don't listen to a thousand records a year. No human being that I'm aware of listens to a thousand records a year and really listens. So for me, there's first of all, do I know the name? Did it come from a source that I trust? So those are two good things, right? But then beyond that, if I flip over the record and it's 12 of the standardest standards in the world, it may be the greatest performance of those 12 standards I'm likely to hear this year. However, it is significantly less likely that I'm ever going to find that out because if I have that compared to a bunch of original stuff that's happening, I tend toward the original. But as many of my friends like to point out, original does not equal good. There's a lot of... Really crappy original composition. Original today. is fraught. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, when Grant Stewart was on the show a few weeks ago, tenor saxophonist, he said there seems to be like a cult of originality these days. And he said, my personal speaking of Grant Stewart, my personal philosophy is first play well. And he said I use these tunes as these standard tunes as the vehicle from which I improvise. So I mean, I I don't I don't expect us or anyone. To figure out what the true path is, because I don't think there is a true path. I mean, that's ridiculous to try and say that one thing is right. But I definitely know that I have biases as a listener um, that tend away from what many people would consider the kind of classic straight-ahead thing. They're not even biases. They're they're just. I mean, again, if you have a limited amount of time, you know, and and to to make you know, like do your triage so to speak you're looking at certain markers you know that that will give you this kind of mark says i mean i do the same thing i mean i can just look at the back of a record and i know whether this stuff is happening or not a lot of the time can't you you know what i mean absolutely i mean there's just a whole bunch of different markers on there you know even even and and we live in you know i mean this is a pretty unique time i mean there's the uh, era of the independent artist is a quite interesting one because you get a lot, you get, you know, you get everything. So, so I guess I'm almost being the devil's advocate to myself. But the, another problem is, is that jazz music based on classical improvisational principles and, and, and like common practice, you know, sort of, sort of, sort of like, you know, performance strategies, um, 
it's so much like what's taught in the schools and everything like that. So you you just get a constant, you know. I mean, you know, I got I got like I got like students that are sophomores, you know, like putting out CDs and they're sending them to you. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like yeah, yeah, you know, and you're getting them, you know. So so I mean, I didn't I didn't make her I didn't make a record as a leader until I was almost thirty. You know, and and I'd and I'd already played with a number of name bands and like you know, you know, and and and, and paid quite a long apprenticeship and been on a been on a lot of records as a sideman. You know, and to me that was like the classic way. That's the thing you're gonna do. You know, it's like you know, but you know, we live in a different time. There are no bands the, the, to apprentice with. You know, and yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I want to make sure, and in fact, I'll hand you this so that we make sure we do it right, uh, is to mention the people who are on this record. Because speaking of flipping it over and knowing that it's happening, this is a good list of folks. right. So besides me, um, uh, Vincent Herring and alto sax, of course, is one of the you know modern day greats, and we go back a long way. We used to play in the street together back when we were first in town together, like on Fiftieth and Seventh Avenue, passing passing the um, the uh, top of the drum the drum traps box around and get some money nice and you know and uh, occasionally a um they would put a, like a can of old english malt <laughs> liquor in there or something like that um and then on tanner sax is a young man who i think is going to be really doing a lot and he's actually somebody i met who's my student at nyu and um uh alex hoffman who is um he's I think he was just 21 22 at the time that he recorded this and he's like um somebody with a a great deal of of um, artistry and 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 craft in terms of of playing and in you know playing jazz that swings with great melodies and and and, and making the changes you know and he can play in a he can play in a in a, in a wide variety of styles um, he's he has a, he's working on a very interesting sort of style here in this on on, the, on this record which is kind of Sort of, you know, I think runs the um, runs runs the the spectrum from shades of players like Lucky Thompson and and Don Bias to 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 Mobley Rollins and you know and and on you know, oh. so he's a very a very interesting player. And Rob Schneiderman, uh, piano, somebody I go way back with. We've been playing together for over thirty years since we were both in San Diego together. And um, he's kind of a modern, I think, a bit of a modern veteran. He's, you know, he's played with with J.J. Johnson, Eddie Harris, the great Eddie Harris, um, James Moody. Um, has many albums of his own as a leader, and he's also a world class mathematician. Teacher. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, I didn't know about that. Professor of mathematics at Lehman College, and and I think his one of his specialties is multi dimensional topography. That is oddly enough not one of my specialties. Not one of my specialties either. <laughs> you know, Dave, David Wong and Pete Nostrum, the bass and drums, are two of the the new players on the scene. You know, kind of functioning. You know, guys that are guys that are really swinging. Um, they work great as a team, playing with everybody. You know, David's been playing with Roy Haynes and Jimmy Heath, and you know, Peter's been playing with Kenny Barron, and you know, it's like, um, and um, they're they're both really fun to play with. And then finally, I have my buddy Little Johnny Rivero, who I play with in the Eddie Palmieri band on Congas, and he does a great job of, I think, integrating um, authentic playing into an environment where we're not really playing Latin jazz per se in the same sort of like strictly clave-oriented environment that I would be 
when playing in my in my spheres of influence group, which is much more concerned with with that kind of that kind of uh, orientation and organization for for my for my you know right writing and my playing. Sure. You know, so great band. We really love playing together. You know, um, we've. We've been out doing a few things. Uh, we we played the Jazz Java Festival last year in Indonesia. We'll be going to Brazil this summer and, um, you know, playing some around town. That's you know. great. Yeah. Uh, finally, talk about some stuff that's uh, coming up for you. So I'll be doing a number of dates around the New York area in uh, April. I'll be playing with um, Phil Woods at Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola from the 14th to the 17th. Um, also be in D.C. with him at Blues Alley from the 21st and the 22nd. Doing a couple of interesting things in other places in April. I'll be part of the 40th anniversary celebration of the Harvard Jazz Band. Wow. Uh, which is, um, that's an organization that's been kind of, a, it's not really part of the regular music department, almost like sort of a extracurricular sort of, you know, like a kind of a glee club. You know? Sure, yeah. But a, a lot of great pl players have come through that band, people like Aaron Goldberg and, and Joshua Redman. It's been it's been headed up for the last 40 years by the same director, uh, Tom Everett. And I've been up there a, a number of times to uh, play with the band and, and do things. And actually, Eddie Palmieri and I have both been up there. So And um, he's put together a really interesting band together to to play uh, as a unit and also with the harp with with the with the kids in the jazz band it's going to be myself Benny Golson Eddie Palmieri Roy Haynes and Cecil McBee oh my god so that's going to be <laughs> how cool is that right wow. yeah that's I'm I'm looking forward to that and what's and it, the date on that again it's going to be April 9th we'll okay. be doing it. yeah I mean I'm very deeply honored to be in such illustrious company yeah, up there. That's and I'll also, also be appearing with the uh, Northern Illinois University uh, Jazz Band as special soloist in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin on the 20th. That's a suburb of my hometown in Milwaukee. Nice. And uh, that's that's directed by legendary um, jazz um, educator Donald Ronald Carter, who's somebody you should all check out. He's a, he's a really uh, great man. And so it's going to be a pleasure to be a part of that, too. Also, we'll be with the Mingus Orchestra at, um, I believe they were put at the Jazz Standard on April 4th. And getting into May, I'll be in France with Eddie Palmieri. Uh, I'll be playing with the, the um, New York Latvia All-Stars. I was in Latvia with my student group from NYU last summer. So cool. there's a little connection there. We'll be at the Blue Note on April 16th. And I'll be guest guest artist at the um, uh, Lima Jazz Festival in Peru from the 27th to the 29th. Now, is that April or May? So in, the in other, May. The yeah. Blue Note thing was also May, right? Yeah. May 16th, yeah, that's going into May. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to mention? So one thing I did want to mention again about this project is that it's been put together in reference to what, what I was talking about before about about you know feeling a need to present this music uh, in a in a way that gives it some some sort of you know like a new you know the music may be a lot the same but I think the way that you can present it and the way that you can um, you can do some things to give it a new slant I think is important so you know um, this has been the impetus I think of being you know I'm very oriented towards using the using like up-to-date sort of technological basis to to get get my music through so especially since i'm doing everything myself so you know uh there is the cd unsung heroes but then there's also three volumes 
available online for for the Unsung Heroes Project. Volume 1, which is the same as the CD. Volume 2, which is all different material, just as good. And then Volume 3, which is um, alternate takes, which are also just as good. So right. I've, I've got like 26 cuts in, 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 in total of this project. So you can get Volume 2. All the volumes, but exclusively volume two and three as a, as a download through my website right now. But, um, volume one is up on iTunes and other, um, download sites commercially right now. And the other two will be up soon. But also something that I'm, I'm excited about is that I feel that this sort of music is also the sort of, the sort of music that is interesting to a lot of practitioners because again it does pertain to a lot of like what we call the common practice period of jazz music that is to say the bebop hard bop kind of derived sort of sounds so i've when i recorded this i wanted to record it in an environment that would give me maximum flexibility to do different things with it so i was able to record it in with this sort of uh recording isolation that allows me to to isolate things and take take off tracks so I can generate music minus one versions of all the tracks on the album. So I'm I'm just in the process of doing that um, and getting getting that online right now. So you know if you play trumpet or sax or piano or something, you can play along with the records and play like you can play just like you were on the record. Or um, I also will have versions of it with without like most of the solos, so you could stretch out a little bit more. I'm also going to make all the um, the cuts on the the record available as GarageBand files eventually. Oh wow! So in that case, you'll be able to load it onto your computer, you know, GarageBand or Logic or Sonar or whatever the pro program is, and record your own part in it. And one thing I envision is to is to have some kind of um, thing on my website or some sort of contest, if you will, to to post like the best sounding t- tracks, you know, so. You know, if you think you can sound better than me on this record, prove it. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so I think I think all these things can add can add some you know some something to it, right? This is like the Iron Trumpet instead of the Iron <laughs> Chef. You yeah, yeah, ex- ex- exactly, exactly. We we always have to we always have to you know we have to realize is that is that jazz is an interactive art form too from the players players and the listeners and then there are, there are so many people that are li- that are interested in this music who do play the you know play jazz at different levels of you know of of you know skill or competence or 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 ability to actually devote time to it i want to reach out to all those people with this music and i think i think this music is very well suited for that sort of thing that's great. My guest is Brian Lynch. He's got a great new record called Unsung Heroes, uh, which, as you just heard, is actually part of a three-volume set. And uh, links to the website will be available in the show notes at thejazzsession.com. Uh, Brian, as I mentioned to you uh, before we started recording, you're one of the guys that I've been listening to about as long as I've been listening to small group jazz. And, uh, you know, one of those guys, when I flip the record over and see your name on the back, I'll always uh, give it a listen. So I appreciate Good. your time today. And Excellent. thanks for talking to me. Thank you so much for everything, Jason. It's great to talk with you.
music from Brian Lynch and his album Unsung Heroes. And don't forget, send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com with Brian in the subject line. The first two emails get signed copies of Unsung Heroes. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com, and you can also find it in iTunes or using an RSS reader, and all those links and more are at the show's website. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this program. They're online at respectsextet.com. And thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo and who tweets at uh, twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.